Let us pray. Father, we know that your word wasn't just for the times that it refers to. We know that your word is for us today. So speak, we pray, out of this historical incident into the situations that we face in our lives right now and into the life of our church. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't ever go back. Have you ever been given that advice by somebody? I know I have. It's the kind of advice that people give you when you say, oh, I'm going back to where I used to live. Or I'm going back to visit the people I used to work for in such and such a place. Or I'm going back to uh, the place where I went to college or university. Or we haven't been to that place on holiday for about 20 years, but we're going back, you know, just so we can recreate how it was then. Don't go back, is what people say. And sometimes that advice is very well founded. For when we do go back, we discover, often to our surprise, that things are not the same as they were, or at least as we remember them to be. People and situations have changed. They've moved on. How it once was can never be recaptured. That once former particular combination of circumstances, of individuals, of relationships, of feelings, is so very hard to bring together and rediscover. So don't go back. That truth may have impinged itself on Jesus when he returned to his hometown of Nazareth and went to teach in the synagogue. First, it seemed like a good decision to go back. Many who heard him were astounded and said, where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? It was all very reminiscent of an earlier visit to the synagogue in Capernaum, which Mark records in chapter 1 of the Gospel. And I think Mark intends us to make that kind of comparison. On that occasion, people's reactions were very much the same as those voiced by Jesus' home congregation. But then, something happened. It all changed in Nazareth. It was what might be described as a light bulb moment. Suddenly, the lights came on. Wait a minute. Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And aren't these his sisters here with us? And then, as the penny dropped who this man was, Mark states succinctly, they took offense at him. 
whatever Jesus had said to them, it was obvious that they were going to take it from a stranger, but not from one of their own. The outcome of this turnaround was twofold. Firstly, it prompted Jesus to make that now famous remark that a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own people. It echoes the words of the prologue to John's gospel. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not receive him. But secondly, not only was Jesus unable to make any lasting impact with his words, neither was he able to make any impression with his deeds or actions. He could do no deed of power there, Mark says except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. There was no repetition here in Nazareth of what had previously occurred in Capernaum. Why was that? Well, Mark says that it was a direct result of the lack of faith or trust that the people of Nazareth had in Jesus. And Jesus saw that that was the case too. He was amazed at their unbelief, Mark tells us. This experience that Jesus encountered in Nazareth throws up a number of contrasts. There's the amazement, first of all, of the Nazareth congregation before they recognize Jesus, and the amazement on Jesus' part at his former neighbor's lack of faith once they had recognized him. Secondly, There's the reaction of amazement of the congregation in Nazareth before they turned on Jesus and the amazement of the Capernaum congregation who continued to be amazed at what Jesus said and did. And thirdly, there's a contrast between the deeds of power that Jesus was able to perform in Capernaum in both word and deed and the complete absence of deeds of power in Nazareth once the townsfolk had realized who Jesus was. So what does this episode teach us? Well, evidently, it makes the point that faith has got an important part to play in the healing process. But we need to be clear what is or isn't meant by faith. Faith here does not mean the stuff that we believe with our minds. It isn't about our propositions. It isn't about our creeds. It isn't about our statements of faith or religious belief or ideology. Nor does it mean what some people take it to mean, particularly in the context of healing, that it's got something to do with an individual's sense of personal worth or moral goodness. No, faith here is quite clearly relational. It's all about trust. The kind of trust that is so essential in so many areas of human life. Areas such as politics. The last few weeks with the general election has exposed clear issues about trusting politicians and 
the recent tragedy at Grenfell Tower has further highlighted a lack of trust that many people have with authorities, both local and national. And then there's the area of health. If you have something that needs doing, if you need to have treatment or a procedure, you have to trust the doctor you're going to. You have to trust the surgeon who's going to operate on you. Without that trust, you will not have the confidence to go forward for the treatment that you need. Or the area of finance. Again, it's based on trust. If somebody's giving you advice about what to do with your investments or your finances or your savings, you want to trust the person who's giving that advice and not discover painfully that in the, at the end of the day, you have been ripped off. Trust. It was trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus as a person that was totally lacking in Nazareth. There was no kind of trust in him as a prophet or a teacher, let alone as Messiah. No, he was just the carpenter, the son of Mary. How could they have been so taken in by what he said and did? His neighbors showed no openness on the whole to receive or take anything from him that he could either say or do. Because, well, he's just one of them, isn't he? And he's certainly no better than they are. So, the shutters came down, the defenses went up, and as a result, Jesus was rendered powerless. That's not something we say very often, is it? But it's there in the gospel. Jesus was rendered powerless. I think that's a very salutary lesson to learn about the role of faith in healing. Because faith in healing isn't about what or how much you believe. It's not about how often you pray or go to church. It's not about how good and moral you are as a person. So don't ever let anybody try to tell you that healing hasn't, has, hasn't taken place because you haven't had enough faith. That is absolute nonsense. And shame on people who dare to say that to anyone who has not received healing. Now, Jesus isn't looking for displays of great devotion or spectacular experiences of commitment, as if faith is a, a huge spiritual deposit or down payment that you've been scrimping and scraping for long and hard all your life, and now you've got it, you've got to cash it in and say, there you are, Lord, that's the faith I've saved for you over the years, now give me something back in return. Now, what I believe Jesus is looking for in us is quite simple, really. I think he's looking for a simple turning on our part towards him. Just an openness to the possibility that you believe he can help you. A simple acceptance that can make all the difference. Jesus put the kind of faith that can make a difference in these terms. He once said, 
you need faith only as large as a tiny mustard seed. And remember, the mustard seed was reckoned to be the tiniest or the smallest of all seeds that there were. But many in Nazareth didn't even have that much faith. So what about you and me? Do we have just that tiny bit of faith, that small bit of openness, that small capacity to turn to Jesus, to see a possibility for healing in our lives? The contrasts in this passage aren't confined to the first six verses. They continue into the second half of the reading too. Instead of Jesus healing or trying to heal in Nazareth, he goes off to the surrounding villages. But before he goes, he calls and sends out the 12 disciples. And very importantly, he gives them authority to cast out unclean spirits. In other words, he's saying, you are going with my authority to do this. What you do, you are doing on my behalf, with my authority, with my power. And another striking outcome, contrast, is the outcome. Mark says they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. So where Jesus had met with scant success, his untutored and untrained disciples no doubt exceeded their own and other people's expectations. Could it be that Jesus' difficult experience in Nazareth actually prompted him to send out his disciples on mission? Because maybe he thought they might be accepted more than he had been in Nazareth. This insight into the experience of the disciples only serves to reinforce the point, I believe, that it is God we need to trust to bring healing through prayer. The disciples were told by Jesus to take as little as possible with them for their missionary expedition. They were instructed to travel light and to rely on others for their welcome and hospitality. Maybe that was Jesus' way of urging them to place their trust in God as they stepped out into unknown and uncharted territory to proclaim the kingdom, cast out demons, and heal the sick. Similarly, those healed by the disciples' prayers and actions would have required that mustard-seed-sized bit of faith to believe that God could work even through inexperienced and enthusiastic disciples to bring healing, freedom, and wholeness into their lives. And tonight, through the members of our trained healing team, who also have the authority of Jesus upon them, God can do the same for you too. All it requires on your part is the mustard seed of faith to turn to God, 
place your trust in Jesus and to accept that God's Spirit can and will make a difference to your life. So let me invite you, come tonight for prayer. Come tonight for anointing. Come, whether you're a practicing, committed Christian or not, it doesn't matter. Come, whether you're a Christian believer or not, it doesn't matter. Come, whether you think of yourself as a decent person who deserves to be healed or not, it doesn't matter. You see, whatever your situation, whatever your life, whatever has been, doesn't really matter to God. What matters is where you are right now and what your need is right now. And God, in his abundant grace, will seek to meet that need. And all you do, all you need to do as you come, is to offer to God that tiny mustard seed-sized scrap of openness or faith. And then, let God do the rest. Amen. Let's pray.